morning's Bible reading is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, which is found on page 797 in the Bible in the pocket on the back of your seat. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So the passage you just had read this morning is probably one of those really pivotal points in the Gospels. So we've had Jesus was born at the beginning of the Gospel, obviously, and he grew up and he was baptised and he went through the desert and was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's been moving around with his disciples and he's been preaching to them, preaching to those little towns and villages in Judea uh, about the kingdom of God. And here he turns to his disciples and he, and he says to them, who do people say that I am? Or who am I? And then Peter steps forward and he boldly pronounces that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah or the Anointed One, God's Chosen One, who, the, who has come to save. But today, we're not going to look at any of that. David was really generous to me. He gave me one verse out of that passage. Verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I was given that verse because we're about to start a series on the church. What is the church? Who is the church? What should the church be like? If you cast your mind, imagine if you interviewed down the street this afternoon, people uh, walking down Baylor Street. What do you think of the church? Or if tonight there was a, a TV program on, an investigation on what is the church? Can you imagine the things that might be covered? At the moment, within Australia, the church isn't held up very high at all. 
and in many respects, understandably so. Following on from the, the Royal Commission into Institutional Child Abuse, the general population has a, a low view of what the church is like. And even with the, the past debate last year on same-sex marriage, people see the church in a low light. But what do you think about the church? When you come here into this building, when you gather with others around you, when you think about the church within the nation or you think about the church internationally, what do you think? Do you find your joy in the church? Do you find your purpose in the church or are you, are you greatly encouraged by being part of the church? Or are you simply tired of the church? Have you been hurt by the church? Or are you continually just frustrated by the church, never living up to the standard that it should be living up to? I don't know what your views and your thoughts and your feelings are around about what the church is like. But this morning I want to remind you about a few things about what the church really is. About how Jesus himself sees the church. So let me pray. Lord, we come before your word and we acknowledge that it is a true revelation from you. Your word reveals to us what you want us to know. So open our eyes, Lord, open our ears. May our hearts be transformed by this word this morning, Lord. And may we give glory to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So just from this one verse, this is it, okay? You can keep your Bibles open, but I'm pretty much just hitting on this one verse today. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'm just going to make three and a half points from that one verse this morning. Three and a half points. So I'm going to start with the half because it's quick, okay? One of the first things when I read this verse, one of the first things that stuck out to me that I noticed was the word church. It stuck out to me because this is Jesus talking. And he hasn't died and he hasn't been resurrected and he hasn't ascended to heaven and Pentecost and the Holy Spirit hasn't come, yet Jesus himself is talking about the church. So what does Jesus really mean when he starts talking about the church? The word here, the Greek word that the translators have used church to describe actually more directly translates into something like assembly, a grouping of people. And in fact, the same word is used right through the New Testament, often translated as church, but sometimes when it's talking about other things, it's described as things like civic meetings or organisations, when it's talking about the, the Greeks and the, the Athenians uh, doing certain things in the book of Acts. So why would the translators decide that church might be a suitable way to describe this word? Well, that brings us to point number one, because it's all about who owns 
the assembly. Who owns this group of people? In verse 18, you can see, what, what does Jesus say? He says, my church. Okay, It is my church. There is an ownership there. That's the reason the translators chose to use the word church because it wasn't just any assembly. It wasn't a random grouping of people. It was Jesus's church. It was his assembly. Jesus owns the church. I think we can agree with that. The flip side of that coin is we do not. It is Jesus himself who owns the church. The church should all be about Jesus himself. The flip side of that is that we do not own the church and therefore the church is not all about us. And that might seem like a simple thing to understand, but it seems like it's an incredible hard thing to remember. That as we come together as a group of believers, the first, the greatest, the the most important thing that we are here about is because of the one who owns this assembly. It is about Jesus himself. It's not about us. It's not about what we feel comfortable with or what we enjoy or what we like or dislike or any of those kinds of things. We are here firstly, primarily, foremost for Jesus, the one who can rightly say, my church. Let me, let me remind you about who this Jesus is. This is what Paul writes in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. He says, The Son, that is Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I don't know if you've written a CV lately for a job and you write down all the things you've done and all the things that you are and how wonderful you are and leave out all the things that you're not terribly good at. But phrases like this from Colossians don't end up on my CV. It might surprise you. But I cannot claim any of these things, for in him all things were created. Things, whether they're on heaven, things, whether they're on the earth, whether we can see them, whether we can't see them, all the thrones, the powers, the rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That is the Jesus that owns our assembly. He wasn't just some baby born in a manger. He wasn't just some carpenter in a a dead-end area of Palestine. Here Paul writes, all things have been created through him and for him. This is our Jesus who owns this assembly. This is this Jesus who loves his assembly, who loves his church. 
So point number two. It is Jesus who builds his church. So in verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus enables this church, this assembly, this body of believers to come together all through his death, his resurrection and his ascension. He enables us as people, as people who have done the wrong things against God as sinners, he enables us to come to God because Jesus has taken all of those sins from us. So only through his death and resurrection could we ever be called God's people. But as we look around the church, as we look around our city and our nation, you might be tempted to think the church isn't actually being built anymore. Maybe it's being a little dismantled. There's churches for sale in different locations. Uh, We hear repeatedly about the numbers of people who are going to church is decreasing. Maybe you're thinking that Jesus might might not be building his church. But I can tell you that he still is. Even within this congregation, there are people who are outside the kingdom who have now come into the kingdom. Another stone has been laid on another stone. Another one was taken from outside the kingdom who was an enemy of Christ like we all were and has been brought into the kingdom. And the building continues. Let alone if we think for a moment and consider the church worldwide. What does that look like? Does it amaze you that Africa will have the most amount of Christians anywhere in the near future? That the church continues to grow there right across that continent? Does it surprise you that through Asia that the church is growing? Whether it's China who has more Christians than multiple times the Australian population? or whether it's smaller nations, smaller Buddhist nations, where the church continues to move and continues to grow. Or you could go to South America, where the revival just seems to keep happening, where people see once again the glory of Christ himself. And we're not just putting one stone on top of another, but multiple stones are being built into this building that is called the church. Jesus continues to build his church. Jesus says a remarkable thing to Peter. Did you hear what he says? He says, on this stone, on this rock, I will build my church. I don't think Peter could have fully understand what was just said to him. If it was, I think he just would have sort of collapsed under the weight or the pressure uh, of that statement. But we see that statement start to come true right at the beginning of Acts. As we think about the day of Pentecost, the day when the disciples and the believers were all grouped together in the building in a room and the Holy Spirit came and it looked like tongues of fire and it landed upon each of them. And suddenly, instead of being scared, they were bold and they burst out onto the street. And instead of just speaking Aramaic or Hebrew or maybe some Greek, suddenly they were speaking all the languages of those around them. And they were speaking the truth of the goodness and the greatness of God himself. 
And some in the crowd thought, they're just drunk. They're just drunk, they've had too much wine. But Peter himself, this rock that the church would be built on, stood up to the crowd and he started to preach to them in some ways the very first sermon of this newly formed church. And let me read to you the end of his sermon. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, he says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then further down in verse 41, it continues, And those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000, 3,000 stones were added to that foundation of the rock of Peter. You think about 3,000. We might fit 250 people in here at a bit of a squeeze. Imagine 3,000 being added to the church that day. Jesus was building his church. So let me give you three ways that Jesus builds his church. The first one is through his word. That you can hear Peter preaches. If you look through the whole sermon, he reaches back into the Old Testament scriptures twice and drags them forward to demonstrate how people should have known that Jesus was coming and the things that he would suffer. But he also says things like this, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. We shouldn't underestimate the importance of Jesus' word building his church, that people will hear it. But not only will they hear it, the second thing is, is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was moving. Because not only did they hear it, but they were transformed. So often we can hear things and not understand and hear things and not be moved. But here, when the people heard what Peter had said, they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit had not only transformed the disciples and enabled them to preach boldly, but it also spoken clearly to those in the audience, in the community there, and it cut them to the heart. It changed them. So there's two things that Jesus does in terms of building his church. His word goes out as well as the Holy Spirit. But thirdly, thirdly, what happens here? is that Jesus uses people like us to speak his word. It is Peter here that it's, who is speaking. It's not that Jesus has spoken in a loud voice on high and said, you shall do this. But it is through a human being, one who has failed quite clearly in the Gospels already. But a human being nonetheless speaking God's word, speaking the very words of Jesus. So Jesus builds his church. Jesus builds his assembly. But we, 
We have a role in it. We have a part to play. As crazy as it seems, we have a part to play. So how do we help the church grow? How do we help build this church? i got two things for you. Pray and proclaim. Pray and proclaim. So pray. We need to be people who are prayerful. We need to be a people who are on our needs. Or as Paul the Apostle says, he calls us to pray continually. Now I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I don't feel I do it very well. I don't bring everything to prayer. Uh, I don't bring everything in prayer to Jesus. So often I try and resolve things myself. Much of my day... I may have forgotten about Jesus and the God who've served as I go about my work, as opposed to praying continually in all things that I do. But the question is, is what are the things that we should pray for? If we want to be part of this Jesus building his church, what should we be praying for? Let me give you an idea. I've heard this one isn't too bad. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. The very prayer that Jesus himself instituted for the disciples to pray. When they asked, how should we pray? This is what Jesus said. Well, we can look at this and see what should we be praying? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be established as great and honourable and set apart and in glory throughout the whole world. And may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. How often do you pray those words? Pray those words that Jesus might build his church, that his will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second part of the two things that we might be able to do is to proclaim. We need to speak the words of Jesus. Now, for some of you, proclaim might seem a pretty strong word, and I really just chose that word because it started with P, okay? All right, it sort of fits together a bit better than other things you could have chosen. But to proclaim, I don't mean just yelling from the rooftops that Jesus is Lord. But we need to be speaking about the name of Jesus into all sorts of conversations, doing it gently, doing it lovingly, doing it honestly with friends and family, work colleagues and neighbours. They can't know unless they hear the word of God. Only a few weeks ago, I had a a friend who'd been a long-term friend, but uh, they've moved away and they came back to Wagga and I knew them through work primarily. And we had about uh, five minutes of personal conversation together. And I knew some of the things that had gone on in their life since they had lived here. Some of it was mental illness and some of it was family breakdown. 
what do you say to someone in five minutes? All I said, and they knew me pretty well, all I said is my hope is in Jesus. I said, all I want for you is the very best. And I think hope in Jesus is what it is. And that was it. Conversation over and they flew home. All I want to encourage you, although I've used the word proclaim, doesn't mean just to yell it in the face of adversary and just tell people as it is. Sometimes it's just a whisper. Would you like me to pray for you? Would you like me to introduce you to Jesus? Do you want me to tell you something about Jesus that I find helpful or strengthens me in those difficult times? It takes boldness. It's scary, particularly with work colleagues. It's a strange thing to talk about anything personal at work. Can I encourage you to think about it? Because in building Jesus' church, his word needs to be proclaimed, no matter how loud or how quiet that might be done. And point number three. Point number three, at the end of this verse, in verse 18, the gates of Hades will not prevail. What is this gates of Hades? Well, it represents death. If you have a look in your NIV Bible, there's a little uh, letter next to it and it sends you down the bottom. And what does it say? It says, gates of Hades is the realm of the dead. This is the place where Satan himself reigns. And what does this verse tell us? Well, it tells us that this place of the dead where Satan reigns, it will not prevail over the church. The church instead will be built, it will grow, and it will not die. It's often said there's two things in life that you can't avoid. One of those is death and the other is tax. To be honest, you can avoid tax, you just need the right accountant, don't you? (laughs) So the thing that we can't avoid in life is death. No matter what you do, it'll catch you in the end. You might be able to put it off for a little while. The medication might help you prolong life for a little bit more. But in the end, death will come. And you can say not just about our lives, but all the things we fill our lives with. At some point, they will be gone. They'll be finished. They'll be destroyed. No one will remember these things any longer. I don't know what captures your imagination in your life. What do you spend time thinking about? What are the things that fill your imagination? What are the websites that you go to on your phone when you have a quiet moment to go and have a look at? Is it property? Is it cars? Am I just speaking about myself all of a sudden? These things that fill our mind and we would say they're not that important to us but our very actions show that they're the things that we spend a lot of our quiet time doing. Those things will be gone. Those things will be dead. Those things will be buried and no one will ever remember them ever again. But what happens to the church? What happens to the church? 
If we were to skip to Revelations, right at the end, if you haven't read the whole Bible, let me tell you what happens at the end. It's a bit of a spoiler, okay? Revelations chapter 21. Here the Apostle John is seeing a vision about what the future will be like. And what does he say in Revelation chapter 21? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You see, here in this vision, in this picture that that John writes down for us, the church itself has been presented as a bride, a bride that is being beautifully dressed for her husband and that husband is Jesus himself. And just as a bride and her husband are united on their wedding day and from then on they should be one, that is the unity that John is painting here. That is the intimacy that John is painting here in this picture that the church and Jesus himself will be fully, completely united that God's dwelling place will be with his people. And when that happens, there will be no more tears because the old order of things has passed away. Let me suggest to you, nothing else in this world will last. Nothing else in this world will ever satisfy Nothing else in this world will ever fulfill so deeply compared to the knowing of God himself. On that great day where the church and Jesus himself are unified completely, fulfilling, on that day nothing else will compare. So let me finish on a few thoughts. Do you love the church? Do you love the church? It is Jesus' own assembly. And if you love Jesus, you've got to love the church because that's what Jesus does. He loves his church. And I know sometimes the church hurts. And I know that sometimes the church frustrates particularly at the local level where we rub up against each other and sometimes there's a few spikes that dig in. But ultimately, do you love the church? Because that is Jesus' assembly. That is his group. And he loves his church. Do you, secondly... Do you invest your life in the church? Jesus is building his church through his word, 
Jesus is building his church through the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is building his church through us in some mysterious and wonderful, miraculous way. Are you praying for the church? Are you proclaiming Jesus' words so that that church might be built? And thirdly, do you have a hope in this church that one day that the church and that Jesus will be fully and they'll be completely joined together? Where is your hope resting? Where do your interests lie? Are they outside and all the other things around? Are you too easily satisfied with life and those other bits and pieces? Are you happy with all those things? Let me remind you, they'll all go. They'll all die. They'll pass away. They'll be burned up. They'll be buried. They'll be long forgotten. But the church one day... The church one day will be unified with Christ himself. Where God will dwell with his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And that there'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Jesus is doing this through his church. Love the church. Invest your life in the church. Put your hope in what the future of this church will be. Let me pray. Lord, we come before you and we're amazed that you decided to call the people to yourself. We're amazed that when you called us that you didn't sit idly back but you came to earth and that you died and that you were raised again so that our sins might be forgiven and that we can come to you. Lord, we thank you that you build a people for yourself. Help us to see, Lord, the truth of this life, that you are the only thing worth living for. So, Lord, come to us this morning. Send your Holy Spirit. May we be cut to the heart and hear your words. May we we desire that your church might be great, that it might proclaim your word for all to hear. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.